0: Welcome back to Streamageddon, the podcast where we try to watch another episode. Just one more episode, please. Just Can I stay up for one more episode? My name is Chris. turn it off. No, never Hi, turn I'm it Diane. off. That's Diane. She'll never turn off my episode. And, and Diane, I promise I will never turn your episode off, whatever it is. And dear listener, same. Stay up all night. Never stop streaming.
1: If you wake up in the middle of the night, turn on the TV.
0: Keep streaming. If Netflix says, are you still there? The answer is always yes.
1: And that's love.
0: <laughs> Nobody loves you back like Netflix loves you in the middle of the night.
1: New meaning of Netflix and chill. It's very, uh, ooh, very sad.
0: Ooh. <laughs> it's not sad. We're recording just after Valentine's Day. That's that's the true meaning of love right there. I feel it the is. warm embrace of Netflix when I fall asleep watching reruns of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm never <sighs> alone when I'm with Quark. <laughs> Well, you know, we're a podcast where we talk about streaming and uh, streaming shows, and later in this episode, we're going to review not one, but two shows that are airing on streaming. We are just so excited to talk about two shows in one night, and we thought, well, you know, it's a slow news week, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about two shows, and uh, Diane is now making a face at me that says, you fool, you (laughs) fool, Uh, because it's not not been a slow news week, and so we have a lot to get to, and we should start with some quick follow-up. Uh, and there is no better place to begin some quick follow-up than the Olympics, because it'll be brief, because uh, nobody's watching it, so why would we talk about it for that long?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think, I mean, I can't say that I've been watching. I have been following the news with the figure skating a little bit, but... Yes.
0: Everyone not at actually my watching. everyone at my job is very eager to talk about the Russian figure skater. None of them have watched any of it. They just want to gossip about the Russian figure skater.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a shocking story. What's going on? But it's still uh, not going to make me turn on the app.
0: No, the app. Well, I'm I'm actually glad you you brought up the app, Peacock. Uh, this <laughs> peacock. is v- very anecdotal. I mean, we Peacock Peacock here, but. Uh, I was listening to another podcast, and they had a a listener write in. This is, you know, now very secondhand. A listener of another podcast wrote into that podcast and said that they haven't bothered trying to watch these Winter Olympics because they tried to watch the Summer Tokyo Olympics on Peacock, and it was a mess. And so they Mm -hmm. they just assume it's going to be a mess again. And it turns out Peacock's done a great job of improving the Olympic streaming uh, process in Peacock If you can navigate Peacock to begin with, the problem being everyone got so turned off by it last summer, I haven't even tried to navigate Peacock for the Olympics again because it was a mess last summer. And I I think they kind of blew their first impression.
1: I also think it's one of those things that's like the Olympics are nice when they're on and then... I'll find them on and be like, oh, I'll keep watching this. And then suddenly I've watched three hours of the Olympics, but I don't necessarily need to turn on the Olympics. And if you're putting, making me jump through extra Olympic hoops, I'm not going to do it. No,
0: no. Jump through Olympic rings, if you will.
1: Exactly, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yes. That's all we have to say about the Olympics, because I have no other opinions, having watched none of it. But we do have some more follow-up back from our first episode where we reviewed Yellowstone the hit Taylor Sheridan show on uh, Paramount Network, not to be confused with Paramount Plus, but here we go on that again. Uh, Taylor Sheridan is the star of Paramount at this point. He is not just the creator of Yellowstone. He's the creator of 1883, Mayor of Kingstown, and now how many more shows? Uh,
1: Twenty-five?
0: That seems reasonable based on the length of the list I'm looking at here. Uh, (laughs) Paramount had like a Taylor Sheridan day this week. They just kind of had a video of Taylor Sheridan sharing all of these projects that they'd greenlit and how excited he is to create even more gritty westerns, basically.
1: What I can only assume is that the execs at Paramount listened to the first episode of the show, heard how much we (laughs) We loved
0: Yellowstone.
1: Or how many times we accidentally called it Yellow Jackets and decided (laughs) we need some more of that.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. And so I I have a short list here. Let's see. We have another year named show. We have 1932. So we have 1883. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to have 1932, which is set 49 years after the events of 1883. Whoa. Then we have Bass Reeves, which is based on uh, the real person Bass Reeves, who was one of the first or the first African American uh like US Marshal of Oklahoma in the post-Reconstruction oh, right. era. He's a real person.
1: And that's gonna be with uh David Ayellow? Yes. I think yeah. yes.
0: Uh that that actually that sounds interesting. And then we have something else set in Oklahoma. Tulsa King, not to be confused with Tiger King, which is what I keep thinking when I read it. Tulsa King, which stars Sylvester Stallone as a former New York Mafia man who gets out of prison and then goes and starts an organized crime ring in Tulsa. As you do. Sure. And then we have Billy Bob Thornton starring in something called Landman, which is about the oil industry. And Billy Bob Thornton plays a crisis manager for an oil company. Sure. I gotta say,
1: he gets some really good actors.
0: I'm like, yeah, I would. Again, you're like, Billy Bob Thornton as a crisis manager for an oil company? Sure. It, it sounds like the setup of a Cohen Brothers movie. And mm-hmm. I will be deeply disappointed if I go in expecting anything tonally like that. But yet, that's where my brain goes. Of course. But then we also have Lioness, which is about a apparently real or based on an apparently real cia special ops training program for female undercover agents
1: Mm.
0: which is honestly the like left turn of this list of shows when i got through the article and they said uh lioness about a cia covert ops program for women i went oh finally something that's not about a cowboy but it's about women who are basically modern day cowboys
1: great 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 then uh, another
0: yellowstone spinoff more uh-huh. yellowstone oh uh, why not this one I, I had to google and could not really put much together except that there is a ranch a real ranch called the six 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 ranch where they are filming uh some of yellowstone now because they they bought it or they're they're renting it and they're gonna do a spinoff about the ranch and we know nothing else about that
1: yeah, they haven't announced much about that one, which is a little weird because they announced it before all these other ones and then gave all these details about the new ones. So that may be like cast to the side. Who knows? I
0: don't know. Part of me thinks they have a Google Doc of T- Taylor Sheridan pitches and it's just getting longer and longer and they've forgotten to scroll back up to see what they already said yes to.
1: It's like the notes app on Taylor Sheridan's phone is just full of his ideas and someone greenlit all of them.
0: Somebody just took his phone out of his hand and went, yes. Uh, well, okay, that's all of our Yellowstone, Taylor Sheridan universe follow-up. I'm going to just put a pin in it right there because there's bigger Paramount-adjacent news to talk about. Paramount is not just the network of Taylor Sheridan, though it kind of feels like it sometimes. Uh, Paramount is, of course, the streaming brand of CBS Viacom, now known as Viacom CBS. but wait... I have news about that, and that means it's time for us to talk about the news. Long time listeners know we've gone deep on the history of uh, Viacom CBS, which were once one company, then two companies, then one company again, and somewhere along the way they bought Paramount the movie company. And then at some point they went, that's a cool millennial brand people relate to, Paramount. And it's cool mountain kind of reminds people of Coors Light, like, yeah, taste the Rockies, Paramount. And so they branded their streaming service Paramount Plus, and and they've just gone all in on it because we just learned that they are rebranding Viacom CBS Paramount.
1: It's a better name than Peacock Premium Plus.
0: Yes. It's a better it's a better potential name than, like, Discovery Warner or Warner Discovery, whatever they want to call that merged company. It's at least one name and not two to three names.
1: I agree. I do like the simplicity of that, and it also makes it easier to tweet about.
0: Yes. It's a much simpler hashtag. I'm fine with it. It's great. Uh, but this comes as they are really gearing up their announcements paramount wants to to kind of focus our attention on them as one singular brand instead of a collection of uh disparate brands which is kind of what they were doing before and so i have a short list here of things that have been greenlit uh, by paramount that we are either learning about renewals or uh upcoming announcements so first off uh coming this spring is a tv series based on the video game halo we already knew that But they've already renewed it. They just announced, you know what, season two, we're going to just do season two of Halo. Probably a good bet on their part. Probably going to get a lot of viewers.
1: It seems like if you have that built-in fan base, you're pretty much in business, so.
0: Right? Or at least that's the bet they're making. I'm like the Venn diagram between Halo players and Paramount Plus subscribers. I, I don't know what that Venn diagram looks like right now, but they really want it to be a nice big circle.
1: I guess why wait to find out if the show's any good?
0: No, no, that's not how we do things now. In fact, that's not how we make movies either, because Paramount has already announced that they are making a threequel to Sonic the Hedgehog, even though the sequel to Sonic the Hedgehog has not come out yet. The sequel is coming this spring, but you know what? We're just, we're already working on Sonic 3, because if there was enough Sonic material for three to 12 video games, there must be enough for three to 12 movies.
1: Wow, I know a six-year-old who will be super excited about that. And no one else.
0: Oh, but will this six-year-old be super excited about the Idris Elba-starring spin-off series coming to Paramount Plus, all about Knuckles the Echidna? Because that is what this guy is excited about.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm so glad one of us knows how to say echidna. And now uh...
0: I, I learned because of the Sonic video games. Hundred percent true.
1: Educational.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I learned so much about wildlife, uh, saving those little animals from Doctor Robotnik. Uh, but that is just some of the amazing IP that Paramount has consolidated here. They also uh, have the Smurfs now, because that feels natural.
1: Is this like trying to get like the children of Gen Xers involved or something? Like, who really? likes? Well, I, I don't I know remember. Who
0: likes the I Smurfs?
1: Were they big in the '80s? I've never seen a Smurfs property.
0: I I remember seeing the old cartoons as a very young child when those cartoons were already old. Old. Yes. So
1: maybe, yeah.
0: But now they're going to be developed by Nickelodeon, so I guess there is like some Gen X millennial appeal they're going for there. And the first Smurfs movie according to the Hollywood Reporter is an animated musical set for a Christmas 2024 release. And everything about the phrase, like, animated Christmas Smurfs musical makes me, like, want to run and hide. But, okay, sure. I bet bet people with children will take their children to see it. Or better yet, watch it on streaming so that they can play something on their phone at the same time. (laughs)
1: How many A-listers do you think will sign on to that? Oh, all of them.
0: All of the A-listers. I fully expect Idris Elba to make a cameo. Maybe we can get uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones in there as Smurfette. I can think of a lot of great casting opportunities.
1: Frances McDormand as like a curmudgeonly (laughs) older Smurfette
0: i mean she could do an excellent papa smurf do a nice kind of like gender bent papa smurf situation something that is you know open to all all people all types the smurfs don't have gender anymore we're in a post-gendered smurf world
1: i'm glad that this is what our most talented artists are going to be doing with their time for the next decade
0: yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll be locked into multi-year contracts for every single Smurfs property, much like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oof. I'm glad you're really excited about that because there is actually one more. Uh, there's one more really exciting uh, piece of intellectual property in development at Paramount Plus right now that you are going to just be so excited for, and it goes a little something like this. Baby, The problem is the listeners can't see us automatically beginning to like bop our heads in unison to Baby Shark. But that is what happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because yeah, we're getting a full length Baby Shark feature film.
1: Oh, man. That's a
0: phrase that just came out of my mouth.
1: I did not know Baby Shark until Ted Lasso when they have used like a parody of that song as the Jamie Tart theme song. And then I was um, at the home of Friends with Kids and they turned that song on and I was like. Oh, it's the Jamie Tart song, and they were like, "Where, what, what rock where, are you? Where wondering? have you
0: been? <laughs> uh, How do
1: I get there?"
0: <laughs> yeah, please take me to that rock. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did learn from this story that there is already a baby shark uh, animated like not feature length but not youtube length video that is viewable on netflix so they've already dabbled in this and now apparently Mm -hmm. big scoop big get paramount swooped in and said no we want that we want the baby shark uh in theaters which just sounds like a prison to me
1: seems like a lot of family heavy content
0: well, you know, it's an interesting move for Paramount. They have Nickelodeon. They are leaning hard into the Nickelodeon branding. It, it's a, mm-hmm. actually, when you think about the breadth of what Paramount is aiming for now, they have South Park on one end of the spectrum, and they have Nickelodeon and Baby Shark on the other.
1: But that still sounds like all stuff for children.
0: <laughs> no, South Park is for sad-aging millennials who remember growing up with it and thinking it was edgy at the time.
1: Children by another name, but okay. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Well, you know, I like to think of Baby Shark as kind of the uh, modern day equivalent of It's a Small World After All. You know, a song that gets stuck in your head forever and makes you want to go a little insane at night.
1: Mm hmm.
0: And, and, mm hmm.
1: Lodged in there forever.
0: Yes, that's the right way to put it. Lodged in there forever. Uh, and speaking of It's a Small World, let's talk about Disney news. That's a transition. Let's do it. <laughs> Deadline is reporting that we have the streaming numbers for uh, the season finale of The Book of Boba Fett. The Deadline is reporting that Deadline read the streaming numbers uh, from an analytics firm called Samba TV. And Samba TV uh, gets the analytics from, uh, I think they said, three million homes based on whether Mm -hmm. they stream at least five minutes of an episode. And I love just the random metric that these companies have to create. For a while, Netflix... Uh, based viewership numbers on people who watched two minutes of an episode, which is not enough time to know if you even want to watch an episode of something. It's not even enough time to necessarily go heat up your, uh, you know, bagel bites in the kitchen or pour another glass of rosé. That the Two minutes, I just forgot it was on. Um, five minutes feels like robust by comparison.
1: I wonder if shows are going to start putting in like a very interesting hook now at minute four and a half.
0: To keep us going. I mean, yeah. it makes sense.
1: <laughs> we, we need your eyes to stay on us. Uh,
0: but what we learned here is that the Book of Boba Fett uh, wound up doing 36% better than the season two finale of The Mandalorian, which is, of course, the precursor, so to speak, uh, to the Book of Boba Fett. And this is the part that really shocked me. The season two finale of The Mandalorian was over 12 months ago in 2020. Okay. That oh. doesn't feel oh. true.
1: I mean, today feels like 12 months ago.
0: (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. This morning, before I read uh, half of the news we talked about, feels like 12 months ago. Yeah. Uh, Mm. But one other thing I found interesting here is that the uh, viewership numbers for every single Disney Plus original show have dropped... From the season premiere to the season finale, which in some ways is not surprising, but in another way, compared to a show we talked about last week, Abbott Elementary, which has been growing in viewership week to week as word of Mm -hmm. mouth spreads and more people hear how uh, fantastic that show is. On the other hand, it seems like uh, Disney Plus shows, people are kind of coming in with a sugar rush of anticipation to check out Boba Fett, to check out Hawkeye, and then not everyone makes it through to the end.
1: I wonder, I mean, if that's just people taking a while to catch up, you know, like they're a couple weeks behind.
0: Right, and that's the other question there because, you know, these metrics, again, are kind of arbitrary. The metric that they use to determine this viewership is a five-day span from when the episode drops and then the next five days from when the episode drops. And so if you've just, you know, fallen a couple weeks behind on – the Mandalorian or the Book of Boba Fett, uh, mm. you might still finish it, but it's considered a ratings drop because you didn't make it essentially appointment viewing.
1: I'm not sure that these metrics are all that helpful. I like watching things like I like waiting a couple weeks and then watching like three in a row of something.
0: Right? It doesn't Unless... doesn't add up to how everyone's viewing habits uh, work?
1: Unless it's something that I really feel like Twitter is going to spoil. I don't mind waiting a week or two. And that doesn't necessarily reflect uh, my interest in the show or my enthusiasm level, more so just like what the week looks like.
0: Right. In a way, this metric feels like it's measuring core fandom. Uh, how mm-hmm. excited are people to be in the Twitter conversation, which in a way is valuable. That That's word of mouth. That's uh, free marketing, essentially. And so I can see why people are interested in that that kind of number, but it does feel incomplete. It doesn't tell me, well, how many people uh, finished, you know, The Book of Boba Fett in the next 30 days? How many people had banked several episodes and decided they wanted to watch them back-to-back one weekend?
1: Right. And if it was based on, I mean, if, like, the quality or the quantity of viewers was based on the quantity of tweets, I would assume that the most popular film in American cinema was Shrek
0: now, <laughs> always, and forever, yes. Uh, I do want to touch a little bit more on the Book of Boba Fett for a minute and these ratings numbers, uh, but this is a moment where I am going to give a really brief spoiler alert. If you really care about how season one of the Book of Boba Fett ended, I would tell you skip ahead 60 seconds uh, because what I found really interesting here is that uh, it did perform better than season two of the mandalorian and part of that is there are more disney plus subscribers now than there were a year ago so there's just more Mm -hmm. people to be watching it but if you saw the end of season one of the book of boba fett you know that basically the last three episodes just tee up the next season of the mandalorian mando and grogu show up and dominate Two of the last three episodes... ...to the point where Boba Fett isn't even in one of them... ...until the final scene. And it really does become The Mandalorian... ...which is a show I love. And so I enjoyed that twist... ...as somebody who is kind of lost in the meandering plot... ...of The Book of Boba Fett itself. Uh, on the other hand... ...if they have all these new viewers... ...people who were not subscribed to Disney Plus... ...when The Mandalorian came out... ...now those people might want to go back... ...and re-watch seasons one and two of The Mandalorian in anticipation of season three of The Mandalorian premiering later this year on Disney+. So it seems like a good move on their part, or at least a really deliberate move, like uh, where for part of the season I wondered if they knew exactly what they wanted The Book of Boba Fett to be. If the mm-hmm. answer is they wanted it to be a great way to get people excited for the next season of The Mandalorian, then they did that.
1: Sure, that's interesting too. When you think about the recent Star Wars films, and that they kind of felt like they were each made without a lot of thought about how they felt fit into a general <laughs> trilogy. So, uh-huh. um, these yeah, definitely—they're they, not making that in. mistake this time.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. It—it it is very reminiscent of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in that the shows and movies lock into each other very deliberately, and maybe sometimes mm-hmm. kind of frustratingly. Uh, but at the very least with a a big picture in mind.
1: I think that fans are demanding that more and more.
0: Are they? Or is that (laughs) what uh, the studios think fans are demanding or know we'll get fans to watch more? Are we demanding it? I don't know if I want every show to be interlocking with every other show.
1: I don't know that I'm a fan so i can't wait okay maybe you're
0: just saying i'm not a super fan and you would be right probably
1: but i do see when things don't lock in neatly i i hear that critique
0: sure if you're gonna build a cinematic universe anyway uh you do want it to feel cohesive Mm. Hmm. you've given me a lot to think about there diane uh but unfortunately we have to think about the metaverse first i'm sorry Would, would you prefer to go back to baby shark i can cue it up again it no, clear, clear your mind uh okay <laughs> briefly the metaverse disney is thinking about it and so this week disney announced they have a new head of basically metaverse initiatives they're calling this role senior vice president of next generation storytelling and consumer experiences catchy title yeah hmm. uh and this guy He's worked for disney for a while his name is mike white unfortunately he is not the mike white who wrote and created the white lotus and enlightened because if that guy was in charge of disney's metaverse i would be so excited
1: i would want everything to tie in
0: immediately right now i would i would pay thousands of dollars to go to whatever theme park he opened up but i'll settle for another season of the white lotus this mike white is going to be in charge of figuring out what disney's metaverse ambitions look look like uh there's a memo the verge has it we'll link in the show notes uh from disney's ceo bob chapek that basically says he's gonna lead a task force to figure this out and that's all we know about disney's metaverse initiative
1: well I, i mean i could see that like it does seem like smart marketing um but then does that mean that like I guess like all the old Disney movies have a place in this
0: in the Disney metaverse I don't I don't know oh yeah uh, you just gave me this image of like walking into some interactive environment and like the characters from the song of the south walk past and I just oh. like turn around and flee
1: I hope that this is a trend that um runs its course uh swiftly
0: Boy, I hope so, too. But, hey, there's hope. Uh, uh, Mike White, this Mike White, his resume before Disney includes a long stint at Yahoo, and nothing says hip, trendy metaverse technology like Yahoo.com. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. That's my reaction, too. Wow. Okay. We'll see. inspires
1: confidence.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But hey, let's shift gears as far away from the metaverse as we can and over to uh, my favorite universe, an app called HBO Max. I know... It's controversial to say HBO Max is the center of the universe, but I'm going to go with it. And I have the facts to back it up because uh, HBO Max was the most downloaded mobile streaming app for January 2022. And I have a link to that data in the show notes. It's from analyst Julia Alexander. Uh, We have a tweet with a chart, but you can't see the chart because you're listening to me. So I'll just say HBO Max was the most downloaded streaming app in January of twenty twenty two. Why do you think that is?
1: I mean it's the horny
0: teens. It's the horny teens. It? <laughs> it's euphoria, baby.
1: Those those poor addicted teens. Won't somebody help them? Their clothes are falling off.
0: All the time. Their clothes, they got so much drugs on them, they need to take them off and wash them now.
1: Uh I mean it it seems to be a hit if we're talking about what what shows people are tweeting about i mean yeah it definitely gets a lot of social media traction.
0: yeah and that is one where people want to talk about it it has a water cooler effect and so people want to be caught up they don't want to fall behind
1: i mean hbo has like consistently been good about that yeah you know they they still make appointment television
0: yeah and across both classic hbo and hbo max originals uh, mm-hmm. They they really have that in their DNA somehow, which is a uh, good good case for HBO and their prospects as they shift into Discovery Warner Plus Max. Oh God, <laughs> whatever that is. Uh, the other show that I thought might have had a little bit of effect there is Peacemaker, uh, because that got a lot of good buzz. It's and it's a I think a slightly different audience than Euphoria. Definitely some overlap, but I, I do think there's a a solid group of Zack Snyder fans who are not Euphoria fans who were definitely excited about Peacemaker and it turned out to have broader appeal than just the uh moody Zack Snyder crowd.
1: I know, but it's James Gunn, right?
0: Yeah, it's, but it's um, that DC universe.
1: Right, right, right. But like he's like he does it more fun.
0: Yes, he does. That's the twist. And that that is why that's doing really well actually.
1: I, I would check it out. I mean I haven't it's, yet it's so on obviously my list. it's I'm, not a priority.
0: Right? I'm in the same place. It's like, yeah, it's not a high priority, but I've heard enough good things that make me sound uh make it sound to me like I'm going to I'm going to be pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah, I've heard it's quite funny and that it um knows what it is, which sounds, you know, satisfying to watch.
0: <laughs> Shocker, a show that confidently knows what kind of show it is is satisfying to watch and that's a topic that we might come back to when we talk about one of the shows we're reviewing just a little later in this episode Uh, but before we get there I want to just quick hit a couple of HBO related announcements that I am excited about because they are coming fast and furious right now Uh, so first up a great show how to with John Wilson renewed for season three do you watch how to with John Wilson
1: i not only watch how to with john wilson i was inspired by season two of john wilson to try several bang energy drinks which viewers of the show will know um and um this series is uh more enjoyable than than the drinks but um yeah i was was
0: gonna ask is the series more enjoyable when you drink bang energy drinks because then i'm ordering a case because already it's a high bar (laughs)
1: It's so funny and um, like really strangely poignant.
0: Yes. Yeah, perfectly said. If you are not watching How To With John Wilson, I, I would just like, I'd say finish this episode first, give us five stars on an Apple podcast, and then immediately go watch How To With John Wilson because you will not regret it. Uh, so I'm thrilled, thrilled that that's coming back. Uh, the other show that I am over the moon is finally coming back is Barry.
1: Woo! No ho, Hank
0: yes Barry has not aired an episode since 2019 and I I had just fallen into this depression around Barry where I knew that they they were going to do it more I knew it wasn't cancelled but I assumed the next thing we would hear is they're finally filming again and we can expect new episodes in like early 2023 Mm -hmm. and I am thrilled to report that we are getting new episodes of Barry in April of this year
1: Heck yes.
0: It just makes me so happy.
1: I also think the second season of Barry, which was significantly stronger than the first one, which I also really enjoyed. So I I am hoping for more growth uh, from a show that I thought started very strong.
0: Yeah, I agree. Talking about Bill Hader, but not on HBO Max. Another show Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to hear is coming back is Documentary Now.
1: Yeah, I actually, I think I have some old documentary now episodes to catch up on. I do, too. Like I, It's not one of those that I feel I have to watch in order or that I feel like that's a show that I very much enjoy watching. But I don't feel like I have to tune into it when it's released when it's released.
0: Yeah. And, and because the, the subject matter varies by what documentary they're parodying. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't always connect with it the same way, and I, I will wait until there's a few in a row because I know different ones are going to hit differently, and it's nice to have a, a kind of buffet of them to to go through.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, that also has not aired since 2019. Oof, can't wait. My question there is, uh, it's going to be airing on uh, the IFC Network, which is still a channel for people who have cable, and on AMC+, Plus, which uh, gets to the question... Who has AMC Plus?
1: Are a lot of AMC Plus viewers just people with cable who prefer to watch on streaming?
0: Maybe. Like
1: because I think that if you have AMC on your cable, you sometimes get free AMC plus.
0: Right. But in this case, I think if you had a if you had AMC in your cable package, you'd be able to watch in the IFC app. That's a thing. What I don't know is what's like the overlap between Uh, huge Walking Dead superfans and cord cutters because AMC Plus seems tailor-made for people who watch every single episode of every Walking Dead spinoff religiously but do not have cable. You're making a face at me that says that was a thing 10 years ago. Is it a thing now?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I do know that they have a very uh, rabid fan base, but I don't know... Because they have additional content too, right? Like Talking Dead and all those. All those yeah,
0: things. and some spin offs that aren't as mm-hmm. popular as The Walking Dead. But yeah, okay, okay. Well, we'll find out uh, what AMC Plus is when we try to log into it to watch Documentary Now. Whew, we are almost at the end of our jam packed news segment, uh, but we do have to touch on the center, I suppose, of most streaming universes. There's a multiverse of streaming universes, obviously. There's the verse. There's my beloved HBO Max-verse. And then, of course, there's Netflix. And Netflix, the OG of streaming television, uh, was the original home of Marvel's streaming shows. Not the ones we were talking about earlier. No, no. The ones with Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Those streaming shows. Remember them? They were
1: buzzy when they were new.
0: Yeah, and Jessica Jones, the first season, was very good.
1: I really enjoyed it.
0: Well, those shows have just been chilling on Netflix. They've been Netflix and chilling for the people who want to go back and rewatch them until the end of February 2022, when they are gone.
1: And though it's still TBD of if they will be in the streaming Ah, first. Where will they live?
0: We don't know. What we know is that Disney made it clear a while ago that they did not want to continue licensing their IP to other streamers. And so the writing has been on the wall for these shows for a while, but with most of these uh, streaming agreements, we, the public, do not know the details, and we do not know the end dates built into these agreements. Until one day, you open up Netflix, and as you're flipping through your watch list, there's a little message above Jessica Jones that says, Leaving Netflix February 28th. And that's how people find out.
1: Well, you still have time to binge them on Netflix if you want to.
0: Yeah, and I assume they are long-term, destined for Disney Plus in some capacity. They brought some Mm -hmm. of those characters into Hawkeye and some of the recent Marvel properties. So it seems like they have a plan there and that hopefully if you love those shows, you'll be able to switch from your now you know, $15, 50 cent a month Netflix plan over to the $15 Disney bundle and watch them there. And it'll be like nothing ever changed. Nothing ever changed. Just the app interface will be really different.
1: And that extra 50 cents in your pocket.
0: Every month. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> How are you feeling, Diane? That was a lot of news.
1: I'm I'm feeling uh, enriched and educated and like I have so much TV to watch.
0: Always. And, you know, we did watch some TV this week, so maybe we should talk about one of those two shows. Uh, and that first show is a show called Single Drunk Female. That's a show that airs on Freeform, on cable. Freeform, which I believe was once the family channel. It's
1: the ABC family. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, and before that, CBN at one point?
0: Oh boy, you were you are taking me deep cuts of the cable lineup, <laughs> the 90s cable lineup. Uh, freeform, now under the auspices of the Grand Disney Umbrella, so you can stream this show on Hulu, uh, and that's where we watched it. Sure is. Uh, before we get started, we should say, spoiler alert, for the first two episodes of season one of Single Drunk Female... If you do not want those spoiled for you, you can skip ahead to our discussion of uh, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, which I'm thrilled I said right the first time, uh, which is coming up later in the episode. Uh, But Diane, you're the one who recommended Single Drunk Female to me, so I'm wondering what, what got it on your radar?
1: Uh, well, it has a couple of Chicago actors, which is how it caught my attention initially, uh, because I work in Chicago sometimes. And so I know people there. And so I uh, wanted to check it out to see some actors I know. And I was pleasantly surprised. It's not really my type of show, to be completely honest. Like, it's not what I would usually go in for. I don't think that I have ever binged a freeform show before, um, though I do like some other Jenny Connor properties who is one of the executive producers, uh, Jenny Connor worked on girls. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, it. I, I think that it has space to grow and I didn't, I, I I thought it was like kind of interesting, the subject matter that it was tackling. So it's about a young woman dealing with addiction, but she's, I mean, like quite young in her 20s still. Um, And uh, the show sort of goes through her time, her court mandated time in AA uh, and her journey with sobriety, which I thought was like a very uh, strange choice for such a um, shiny family network.
0: Yeah, it does show an interest in making Freeform less of the family channel and more Mm. of an offbeat streamer because in the end everybody is a streamer now and so I think they're trying to find an identity there that is broader and more engaging to perhaps people who are not watching tv with their children right or perhaps people who are watching tv with their older children where a heavier subject matter sprinkled with a lot of funny jokes and a lot of funny pop culture references would be enjoyable for both the kids like teens and adults
1: right um, and there's still like, like their uh, Ali Sheedy plays the mom on it. And I think she does a great job. And, uh, you know, so she's sort of uh, popular with older audiences, perhaps because of her iconic 80s performances. And then, uh, you know, but really the the main star is um, a younger woman, uh, Sophia Black. D'Elia, I think her is how you say her last name, though, as far as I can tell on the internet, no relation to disgraced comedian Chris D'Elia. But uh, yeah, who I, I think she's, she's pretty impressive as a breakout performance.
0: Yeah, she really is the glue that holds the show together. There's a great cast of supporting characters around her, but you have to spend a lot of time with her. You have to watch her in the first few episodes, make some really bad decisions, and you still mm-hmm. have to like her.
1: And I kind of do. I mean, I do find myself frustrated with her while I was watching, but I was like, yeah, but I'll keep watching. I'm still kind of rooting for her.
0: Yeah, you want to see her get her life together. And you see—she does a great job of very subtly but clearly communicating the pain she's in trying to basically, one, get sober, but two, learn how to live like a, a, a an adult, like a human being, because she hasn't. She's been so drunk and so detached from her reality that she is terrified of— of being herself and being alone without, with her thoughts, which is something that's very mm-hmm. relatable at the same time.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, so what So what do you think?
0: Well, let, let me say, this is a show where I, I mm-hmm. was pitched it as, you know, she's uh, entering sobriety, we're following her through AA, it's on free form. and once again, like you, I thought that does not sound like my kind of show, but it is... <laughs> A 30-minute comedy. It's 23 minutes on streaming. I've got the time for it. And the pilot episode opens up with the event that trips off her journey into sobriety, which is she's in the offices of her New York media blog, essentially. She works for what's clearly meant to be BuzzFeed. It's called Bzz. Right. Uh And and she is swigging vodka out of a giant water bottle late to a meeting And in the process of getting fired for her obvious workplace alcoholism, calls out the job for being so pointless. And she says something like, I could do this drunk, I could do this sober, I could do this juggling. And there is something so funny and so relatable about that. Because I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people have been through jobs, especially in their 20s, where right or wrong, you think this is a really pointless thing I'm doing. I do something so stupid and meaningless, why do I even bother doing it well? And I am so much better than this. And it is, she she sells it well, but it also gives you the immediate window into, one, the tone of humor of the show, which is much darker and funnier on the, just, you know, jokes per minute funnier than I expected. And two, it gives you a a real sense of how far she's going to fall, how fast. Because right away, oh, yeah. you 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 know, it, within the first two minutes, she is accidentally almost blinded her former boss and is being sent to court mandated rehab.
1: Yeah. And I think there's something that I find satisfying about that scene, uh, about the fact that it's like kind of the thing you always wish you could say to the bad boss. But yes. of course, you don't get to. Um, so as much as you're watching her being like, oh, my God, this is painful to see because she's messing her life up so badly. At the same time, I'm kind of like, God, I wish I could do that, you know?
0: Right, the the the, the one I wrote down, the line, she, she's complaining about the work they do there. And she goes, you know, we write things like, hey, here's 10 dogs that look like the cast of Gossip Girl. And I both went, yes, I've wanted to say that in certain jobs before. Not that exact phrase. That would be a more fun job than than where I've been. But I've wanted <laughs> to say something like that. And two, I'm like, I've seen that listicle. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It has shown up in my, my Twitter feed, in my news app. Like, yes, this is... It grounded her in something that felt, like, disturbingly real to me.
1: Yeah, and I think that... Uh they do a pretty good job of dealing with the reality of addiction at least in these early episodes um it doesn't seem too, for lack of a better word freeformed like I think that you know there is some of that shininess that uh of like cable family programming a little bit but it also is willing to go to some pretty dark places uh so yeah I, that surprised me and, and in a good way
0: yeah and I think the pilot, does a great job of very efficiently giving us a lot of details and setup uh, in a way mm. that is occasionally a little free for me because it is a little uh you know we gotta cram in some exposition here so you understand what 's going on, but it never leans too hard into that at the expense of the show still being funny you know they they do a great job of balancing that exposition with a lot of really funny jokes and a lot of characters who even if they 're introduced a little forcefully you Mm -hmm. you immediately want to see more of them
1: yeah and i think that also speaks to the casting being pretty strong um a lot of these folks aren't super famous but they have some pretty good on-screen chemistry as an ensemble
0: yeah they really do the plot in the first episode uh, basically follows her through getting out of uh, her 30-day court mandated rehab that happens literally in the first three minutes and then uh moving in with her mother In Boston, so she's left New York and now she's in Boston, where her best friend is a total party girl, uh, Boston accent, big drinker. She is off the wagon within one day of arriving back in Boston, which causes her to uh, basically t-bone somebody's uh, wedding party bus, bachelor party, (laughs) bachelorette party van. Um, while everyone was begging her not to get behind the wheel of a car, mind you, because she was plastered. Uh, And that also says something about her character that is really dark and, and, again, really impressive that I was not immediately disgusted with her. I was not happy with her choice there. That was a very poor choice. And yet they balanced that scene in a way that felt, that I felt like, wow, if I was one of the friend's, trying to stop her from getting behind the wheel? How far would I have to go to stop her? Because you Mm -hmm. also look at the friends trying to stop her, and you go, okay, you're you're trying to stop her, but are you going to tackle her? Are you going to take her keys out of her hands? Uh, She's going to fight back. She seems like a fighter. They've established that much of the dynamic so quickly. That's impressive in terms of efficient storytelling.
1: Yeah, and uh, without, you know saying too much. I feel like I I know this character, like I've seen her uh, in when I (laughs) visit home sometimes, you know, like (laughs) among, you know, uh, some folks who are dissatisfied with where they are in their life. And obviously there are lots of stories about addiction and alcoholism in media, but you don't see them that often for women in their 20s. And, you know, beyond the beautiful horny euphoria tweens. Um, Sure. but, you know, I, I thought that this, uh, yeah, that, that part of it was refreshing to see someone really at this point where they're hitting rock bottom.
0: Yeah. And and the closest touchstone that I could think of is Mom, the CBS sitcom. Oh. Right? I actually
1: haven't seen that. Uh, that's uh, Chuck Lorre, yeah?
0: Yeah, Chuck Lorre. And again, like, tonally, that's very different. A Chuck Lorre show is a, like a two and a half men and it is much more a CBS network sitcom.
1: Right. And I, I wonder if that's the Jenny Connor influence on it. Or um, I think that the the creator has said it's based on her own stories of um uh recovery, but I think that yeah, that there is an influence that I'm sort of like this isn't quite a freeform show, it's on freeform. Uh there are certainly still some of those elements, but it also feels like it has some of that like premium streaming flavor in it. Yeah. Uh, that that I liked
0: yeah after the first two episodes my, my biggest takeaway was that Freeform dictates the structure of this show it is mm. a very tight 23 minutes per episode uh, and it very much ends on time with a ending image that feels right for that episode but yeah. the the actual story the actual writing is much more premium cable premium streaming so to speak
1: right absolutely I'd agree
0: I do have a question for you related to this show. Oh. In the pilot, she meets her sponsor, or she finds her sponsor, essentially, who is kind of a Terry Gross. They they kind of invented, like, a knockoff Terry Gross to be her sponsor, which I, I find to be a really funny and specific choice.
1: Or, like, I was thinking maybe, like, Sarah Koenig, who did Serial, yeah, is, yes. like, also perhaps an influence there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so she finds her her sponsor, and one of the things her sponsor says to her is, you know, uh, y- you have to get up and live your life every day. You have to make your bed. And she goes, literally? And <laughs> and my question for you, Diane, is do you make your bed every day?
1: I do make my bed every day. And I started making my bed every day during the pandemic based on the advice of a friend in AA. So
0: <laughs> wow, who
1: is like, here's how you be a person when you have lost all the structure in your life. You wear pants and you make your bed. I was like, all right, I'll try it.
0: I, I gotta say, I looked at my bed this morning, unmade, and even though I live alone and no one else will see it, I thought I should straighten that up. I should, I should, I should at least try to make my bed before I leave. The dog can see it. Is the dog judging me?
1: Also, just nicer when you get in at the it end is, of the day. It
0: is. <laughs> and the the image at the end of the pilot, she's she gets a job working at a local grocery store, and she's getting ready to go to her first day at the job. And just before she walks out of the bedroom, she turns back and she makes her bed. And mm-hmm. and thematically. Very free form, but also felt very real. It felt earned.
1: Yeah. And also, I mean, I like to like, right, she's making some sort of progress in that moment, but it's the smallest amount yeah. of progress. And that's right? how it's... it
0: actually works. Like mm-hmm. like yeah. so many things in life. You want giant progress. In the beginning of the pilot, she's trying to haggle her way through, you know, can I go to three meetings a day for a month instead of one meeting a day for three months? Uh, and by the end of the episode, you see you're beginning to kind of realize that's not how it works.
1: I think, as they say in, in, in the program, uh, we seek progress, not perfection. So yes. there you uh, go.
0: That is Single Drunk Female airing on Freeform, but streaming on Hulu. I'm a fan. I'm going to watch more of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's five or six episodes out now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep up with it, uh, probably at least through the season, see where it goes.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious, too, uh, how how much do you stretch that out they did a really smart thing in the pilot of first making it seem like she would only have to do 90 days of community service and meetings but then because mm-hmm. she t-bones that party van uh, she's committed to a year of probation and meetings and she can't mess up because if she messes up she could go to jail uh, and so at the very least we have this you know road map of tv structure that says she's got a whole year of this at least and if they throw in a twist of her potentially screwing up or having some kind of close call which admittedly if they do that too much or too melodramatically might feel a little cheap that's the risk Uh, but without that even they have a nice roadmap to say like well she's gonna have to grow in this new life for at least a year of story time and a year of story time could easily be a couple of seasons
1: yeah absolutely they also do a little uh, structural gimmick where they'll say like a a little counter on the screen of how many days sober she's had and um, so I I find that like you know I love a neat structure so (laughs) I find it satisfying and
0: and that's a great moment for us to transition to another show we're going to talk about this week the second show Uh, this is a little show airing on Netflix called The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window i don't know if you caught the rain rain go away in that creepy theme song but that is that is in there
1: i didn't catch it till just now when uh-huh. i heard that theme in context during the episodes itself it went right over my head
0: i think like so many Choices in this show. If you're not told to look at it, you're not necessarily going to see it. Uh, This Mm. this is a show airing on Netflix, of course, uh, starring Kristen Bell, who I dearly love and is uh, deeply in character in this show. The cast, from what I've seen so far, and spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the first two episodes. uh, They're all doing a great job. What I'm interested in talking about here is. What is this show trying to do to begin with? Cuz we're coming off talking about single drunk female and this uh perfectly tight structure. Here is a show where at the end of the first episode I texted you Diane and I said, "We have to watch another one cuz I don't know what this show is about still."
1: Right. It's uh so it's it's a mystery, but it's a comedy, it's a spoof, but it's an homage. It's
0: you use Sometimes
1: the... got jokes?
0: Sometimes. And sometimes there are visual jokes that make me think that the set designer or the production designer thought that the whole thing was a comedy or the mm-hmm. director, but not everyone did. I I there're just several moments in the first couple episodes where I was like, was everyone on the same page? Was everybody cc'd on all the emails in the development process? Cuz it, it there're just so many moments where you're like, was that a joke or was she being serious? Because it's about a woman dealing with immense grief. Kristen mm. Bell plays a woman whose husband and daughter died. What what we are kind of led to believe is a mysterious but hilarious death. And we haven't seen the death yet, but we have seen a lead up to the death in, in the first two episodes. And it involves a take-your-daughter-to-work day, and we discover her husband is a, 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 a criminal FBI, minds yeah. serial pathologist who's going there to get in the heads of serial killers, and his daughter accidentally gets locked in a room with a serial killer, but that they, they, then they leave it for us to find out later what happened. And again, that is treated as obviously the setup for a really bizarre joke but also she's deeply grieving in reality,
1: right? I actually that was one of the few moments in the pilot uh, that I did laugh because you know, it it is a half hour show. It's comedy, uh, maybe. Um, And uh, there's a moment when she sees her daughter, uh, her daughter's playing in her bedroom. And uh, she's she asks her to do something and the daughter's like, I can't do that. I'm dead. And uh, Kristen Bell's response to something like I keep forgetting that <laughs> it just that's that actually got me I was like okay that's good um which I think my my biggest question about the comedy writing in this brings me to like a, a A question of their approach because I think that um when you're dealing with things that are already over the top and the source material for this show is already over the top um so if you're talking about you know these these murder mystery uh, page turners the,
0: the, the woman with the dragon tattoo the girl in the window the the lady on Girl the train. On the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm butchering all of their titles because they all kind of sound the same, which is also the joke of the title of the show.
1: Right. Which actually, I, I think the title of the show, is burdensome as it is, uh-huh. is, is, is clever and fun. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. So if you're dealing with material that's already over the top, how do you top it can be a thing, right? So it's like, and I, I kind of remember this as an issue in... Um, the early days of the Trump administration. Um, I remember uh, reading The Onion and this was, I I had no um, uh, affiliation with it. I just like as a consumer, noticed that they tried a couple times to do like um, a Trump character who was sort of understated as like a contrast because like how do you top Trump? He's so absurd and over the top. And that's what I was feeling when I was watching this. I was like, maybe they tried to be like they, they were like, oh, what if we do like the subtle version of these events where like, you know, even though she is dealing with grief and she, you know, has forgotten that her daughter's dead, the, the punchline is just like, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting that.
0: <laughs> like, yeah.
1: like downplaying it instead of going even further. But it just makes for a slightly smaller laugh and a slightly smaller joke, you know?
0: Yeah. And it also makes it easy to miss the joke. uh. At the very beginning of the pilot, she's making a casserole. And and you're watching her make this casserole. And, and again, you know nothing really yet. It's the first scene of the pilot. And she puts it in the oven. And then she goes to take it out. And as she takes it out, she screams uh, and drops it in this really dramatic, melodramatic moment that feels out of, you know, one of these Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies or something uh instead it i realized after rewinding to figure out what just happened she took it out without wearing oven mitts
1: right and she's so just burned she her hand just
0: burned her hand that's what happened and i think that's supposed to be a joke because they play it with like a quick flash cut to a bunch of memories that make it seem like she's having a horrible flashback and that's why she dropped it but no it's cuz she burned her hands and then you you, you you put it together when you see her put like frozen peas on her hands and, and sit in her window. But that's when I had to rewind to go, why are there frozen peas on her hands?
1: Yeah. I mean, I did catch that. And I wonder too, if some of those references um, are just easier to catch if you're very familiar with the source material. Um, And I watched uh, the woman in the window, not that long ago. I have read the girl on the train. I've read a few of these other ones. Honestly, they're not my favorite books, partially because they deal with really dark subject matter. And I don't find that the writing is always, uh, always chooses to deal with them with any nuance. It's like, I do keep turning the page because there's something about it that grips me.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: at the same time, uh, I'm like, oh, God, I just hope this one has no rape because they oh. don't handle oh. any sensitive topics sensitively. Um
0: <laughs> and maybe there's some some real humor to be found in how this show clearly is not going to handle the sensitive moments sensitively. Like, when we do find out how the daughter died, I am sure it will not be handled sensitively, but on purpose. Right. But also, right. I, I'm two episodes in, and I don't know yet, and I and I'm still wondering what the main mystery of the show is going to be. At the end of the second episode, we see uh, somebody get murdered, we think. And at Mm -hmm. that point, I think I could tell you what the plot is, which is she thinks she witnessed a murder, but nobody believes her because she is an alcoholic on pills and mourning, and she might be hallucinating. That much is established by the end of the second episode. But one, that's not super hilarious. And two, I still don't really understand how it's all gonna where it's gonna go.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think maybe I I find it less hilarious when I think of a show like Single Drunk Female that is handling this subject matter uh, like it's a real issue. Um, I guess it only really works if you don't think that these are real people, right? Yeah. If there's an understanding all the time that it's characters in a book, but the presentation isn't that altered.
0: Yeah, they don't, that's again where I'm like, I don't feel like everyone was on the same page in the production process because the way it's presented does not make me feel like these are characters in a book. It makes me feel like she's a person who and, mm-hmm. and she has the foibles that she has and they're weird and over the top kind of, but they don't feel like caricature, which is I think what they're going for.
1: Yeah. I I think that the the visual gags seem to be carrying the most weight in terms of comedy for the first couple episodes. There is a recurring bit about her drinking lots and lots of wine. Um, She has like a collection of uh, corks.
0: A mountain of corks uh, sitting in the middle of her kitchen island, yes
1: yeah and also she drinks it from like a large wine glass but like that joke to me I feel like I see those wine glasses on at like target you know what I mean it's like mom's night you can have all the wine you want so if I'm supposed to take from that that she's like a dangerous alcoholic I'm not sure that it's it's doing enough work there or that it's like the most original fun joke because it's like you know something I could buy on Etsy
0: yeah, I took away from some of those moments with the wine. I was like, wow, it's like we're parodying uh, a Shonda Rhimes show from eight years ago. But yeah, but that that's not really relevant anymore. That, that's like, yeah, that scandal joke eight years ago. I remember that. I don't I don't think that that's the hottest uh, take we could have on this. Again, again, this grieving mother who is listless in life and looking for an outlet and again that's where you begin to get to okay I could see what the the angle here is she's again, looking for something. And so she constructs this potential fantasy crime to get lost in. And maybe once she begins investigating that more, it picks up more comedy momentum. I can see where there is kind of comedy there, like Search Party. If you know that show, Back to Season 1 a Search Party, mm-hmm. she, she is looking, Dory is looking desperately for some meaning in life. And so she uh, goes all in on trying to find this missing classmate Chantal even though there is no real crime that's happened spoiler alert for a show that aired years ago so so again I can see where the comedic potential is and where the direction they might be driving but it also kind of feels like are we driving in that direction or is the car just kind of drifting in the lane uh without a real focus
1: right and I think that um even in woman in the window which uh the novel by aj finn has like the closest plot analogy to the plot of this show it is you know um a grieving mother you can uh watch the movie adaptation on netflix with amy adams um uh like like it's pretty close there there still is early in the movie like a jump scare to let you know oh this is a mystery um whereas early in this we don't really get like I feel like they needed that one spooky moment that happens at the beginning of every horror movie before then you slow down and you get into exposition. Um,
0: there is a moment like that at the end of the first episode i re I rewatched the end of the first episode right before we recorded because i I could remember how the second episode ended and how I finally kind of thought I understood where the show was going, but I couldn't remember. at the end of the first episode felt so unclear that I was like I have to go back and watch it and there is a moment there she's met her new neighbor across the street who is this uh, single dad it seems with a daughter who would be the age of her daughter if her daughter hadn't died and they have a really charming dinner together when she finally brings over this casserole she's made and she's sitting in bed that night and she like goes to follow him on Instagram and It's this moment of maybe life is going to be okay. Maybe she can move on. And then her narration literally says that basically. And of Mm. course, then the music gets creepy as she falls asleep. And we see him staring out the window across the street. And then the camera goes back to her bedroom and drifts up towards the ceiling. And then we cut to a, a shot of her dark attic. And we see a shadow move in the attic. Right. That's it. That's the episode. Credits. And I was like, oh, because of the, the binge model on Netflix, like, that image didn't stick with me. It was the end of the episode, not the beginning. And so then it rolled right into the next episode. And I completely forgot that, yeah, they did give me this kind of jump scare, this hint of a jump scare to be like, yeah, something creepy's happening.
1: Mm. And Yeah, and I, it's meant to be binged. Um, but also, I'm not sure that the binge format totally helps it in that sense. Um, that uh, there doesn't seem to be enough going on in episode one that if you did release these week to week, you'd have folks coming back. Um, yeah. And it definitely uh, builds as the story goes on. I won't spoil anything, but um, I did watch the whole first season. Uh, it builds both in the the mystery, the propulsion of the story, and the frequency of jokes, though they still don't seem to be, you know, a ton. Um I would say it's more like a mystery with jokes than um a, a parody of mystery movies
0: that's an interesting line to draw but i see what you mean yeah and i I, uh, I will be honest it does not make me want to watch more of it
1: part of the reason that i kept watching is i ran into a friend whose opinion i value and she was like did you see it and i was like oh we're, wa- we're watching it this week for the podcast and she was like i loved it and i was like really and she was like oh yeah i've read every one of those books. And I was like, Oh, Oh. I think that's who this is for. And I also think that's a bigger group than we might know. Like, I think those books really are extremely popular because I mean, you can sit down and read them in three hours too. Um, And so I think that maybe if you're just catching every fun reference like that, it does get more fun as it goes. I, I think that's who the show is for, or just people who can't get enough Kristen Bell.
0: Well, that's what would draw me in. I saw the trailer for it, and I thought, I it looks hilarious. Kristen Bell drinking too much wine, looking out a window all moody. I bet it's mm-hmm. hilarious. And in reality, it's more just flatly what I described. Kristen Bell drinking too much wine, looking really moody out of a window.
1: Yeah, I um, I like my comedy with more jokes.
0: But just because uh, we're not the, the primary audience for this doesn't mean it's not a good idea for Netflix. I think what Netflix does really well is they they kind of cover the field. They have a show for every subset of subset of subgenre that you could imagine. Are you fans of this specific genre of book and a fan of Kristen Bell and a fan of dark comedies and starring women? We, we have at Netflix, we have the data to target you somehow. I don't know how they have that much data about us, but they do. And they line it up and they go, we've made this show for you. That's kind of the classic Netflix thing. It's what they do.
1: And I watch it, so, I mean, I I, I guess, I think it's working.
0: Yeah, I I don't think the show was a mistake, let me put it that way. Maybe I didn't find it to be my comedic sensibility, to put it one way, but I don't Mm -hmm. think it was a a fluke or an accident. In fact, you know, to get back to what I said before, uh, my critique was often that it felt like the production, not everyone was on the same page. But... That is the view of somebody who doesn't understand the exact subgenre I'm watching, right? I'm coming in with my expectations of a certain kind of comedy, of a, you know, a a police squad or an Angie Tribeca style Mm -hmm. parody where it's going to be broad enough that even if you're not super steeped in that genre, you will find the -the over-the-top jokes funny, and there will be enough jokes, a joke to minute ratio, where even if you don't get all of them, there will be a lot of them. Uh, that makes me think of Single Drunk Female, which has a really great joke per minute ratio. But it also makes me think of shows, you know, uh, more classically, like 30 Rock, where you don't get all of them if you're not steeped in the, the kind of media jargon or the comedy scene that they are. But there are enough of them that you you laugh.
1: Right, right uh just so many that even if all of them don't hit too like even if some of them aren't the best joke you've ever heard which i think is the case for like some of the more recent tina fey robert carlock vehicles um and like i don't love every joke but there are so many that i'm still laughing frequently
0: yeah they take a lot of swings and so you don't mind if there are some misses where uh, this is a show that's not interested in that kind of humor
1: no not even attempting it cuz i don't think humor is the main thing i think that part of the problem is that it's being marketed as a comedy and it's not a comedy
0: yeah and that also gets to maybe the other side of netflix's algorithmic kind of production system where they they market the same show differently to different people based on what they think you'll click on in the app essentially or based on ab testing to see which of these mm. uh, cover images performs better and so most of the marketing that we see reads a certain way to us. Maybe they pair it in a vertical, uh, you know, in a bar with other binge-worthy comedies. And you think, well, binge-worthy comedy, it's next to Shits Creek. I bet it's right. got as many jokes per minute as Shits Creek. But somebody else might see it in, like, you know, uh, female-led uh, dark comedy and would have a completely different frame of reference for what that means.
1: My take would be, not a total miss, not a total hit. I wonder if if it'll come back for season two. There is some setting up of a possible next mystery in, in the end of the season. Uh, I think it might find enough audience to come back, even if critics aren't loving it.
0: Yeah, Netflix doesn't really care what the critics say about it, but they are very aggressively focused on the the engagement numbers and so at the end of the day we'll know how well it performed based on whether they bring it back or not I I think that much we can say for sure
1: curious to see
0: very curious to see audience if you're curious to see that show the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window I got it right again guys uh you can watch that on Netflix if you enjoy it or you have opinions about it You should write to us. We have an email address now. We have an inbox that you can send your thoughts to. It is podcast at streamageddon.com. How easy is that to remember? Podcast at streamageddon.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this week's shows. We'd love to hear your recommendations for what you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. If there's a show we should check out or that you want us to dig into, we're here for it.
1: Even an element of the, like, streaming news universe that you would love some info on, we could dig in.
0: Send us your questions. Send us your hot tips. Send us your leads. We are here to investigate the streaming-verse for you. Absolutely. Of course, you can also reach us directly on Twitter. I'm at I am Chris Barlow on Twitter, and Diane is at DianeNora, Diane with two Ns, also on Twitter. You can find us both there. And you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please take a moment to do that right now. Uh, A lovely five-star review would make our days and then help us feel the motivation to climb the massive mountain of streaming news that will accumulate between now and the next episode here on Streamageddon.